like to welcome you to another edition of our first program in the merry month of December Mm -hmm. of the jazz show and my name's Gavin Walker we're here every Monday night with some of the very best in jazz music and of course we usually have a a lot to offer various styles various musicians all that kind of stuff and we carry on until well after midnight. So we hope that uh, you can stay with us for a while. And uh, if you're really brave, you can stay for the whole show. Yes, we have people that, uh, that do that, that don't have a, much of a morning commitment. So anyway, uh, we welcome you. And we hope that you enjoy the music that uh, is going to be presented this evening. Our jazz feature, which we always kick the show off with, is an amazing album by an amazing musician and human being. I'm talking about Oliver Edward Nelson. He was born in St. Louis, Missouri, and sad to say, um, had a relatively short life. He was 43 when he died of a heart attack, and Oliver um, packed in his short 43 years, uh, several lifetimes of accomplishments. Uh, he was a virtuoso on all of the saxophones, played them all, um, but he was primarily heard on tenor and his favorite, which was the alto saxophone, but he was also a wonderful soprano saxophone artist. He gave up all of, all of the, his horns, and for a few years um, stuck with the soprano saxophone. Oliver Nelson was an arranger and composer, and amazingly enough, he arrived after much experience in territory bands and going to college and getting a degree in composition, all this kind of stuff. He arrived in New York and was welcomed Um, He arrived in New York in the late 50s, and he was a fully developed uh, musician by that time, and it didn't take long for Oliver Nelson to make a very significant impression on all of the New York musicians. And very soon, he was offered a contract, a recording contract with Prestige Records, and began recording for that particular label, Prestige New Jazz Records. And interestingly enough, while he was recording for Prestige Records, he made an album for, it was a one-shot album for Impulse Records. And Impulse was a brand new label at the time, a deluxe uh, uh, label. And Oliver Nelson put together a band to record six of his compositions and arrangements on an album called The Blues and the Abstract Truth. This 
album defined Oliver Nelson. And it became not only an instant classic at the time, it is a classic to this day. It is one of those essential albums which um, anyone who has the mildest interest in jazz must own. It truly is an iconic recording. And that particular band that Oliver put together with Freddie Hubbard, uh, Eric Dolphy, Bill Evans, um, Paul Chambers, uh, and Roy Haynes on drums, and there was another instrument in there, the baritone saxophone of George Barrow. Um, that gave the band some uh, and the ensembles a really beautiful sound. Uh, and George Barrow was a non-soloist. Uh, he didn't take any solos on the thing. And as a matter of fact, his name is not even on the album. You have to read the notes to find out that, that he was actually playing in the ensembles. And that little addition, and of course Oliver's compositions and his playing and the playing of everyone else, made that album such an iconic classic. And however... Before he recorded that album in March of 1961, he did an album for Prestige Records um, in May of 1960. And it has some of the very same identifiable qualities. It may not have reached the uh, iconic stature of the blues at the, uh, in the abstract truth. However, this album is a very, very definitive Oliver Nelson album. It's called Screamin' the Blues. And it was, as I mentioned before, issued on uh, prestige new jazz recordings. And Oliver assembled uh, quite an amazing band uh, with a few similar names, um, as you'll find on the Blues and the Abstract Truth album. Oliver plays both tenor and alto saxophones only on this album. And his uh, frontline partner is the iconic and very adventurous Eric Dolphy. Eric Dolphy plays uh, alto saxophone and bass clarinet on uh, uh, several of the tunes. And Oliver and, and Eric make uh, quite a frontline partner, along with the powerhouse trumpet of Richard notes Williams. Richard Williams, um, who originally from Texas, and uh, he matured as a musician in the Bay Area and moved to New York City and was a very, very in-demand uh, trumpeter He on several recordings. He never recorded very much under his own name, um, but of course he was one of Mingus's favorite musicians and one of Oliver Nelson's favorite musicians, as you'll hear on this uh, on this recording. On piano uh, was a buddy of uh, Richard Williams. He was originally from Oakland and matured in, Sa in the San Francisco, Oakland Bay Area and moved to New York. His name is Richard Wyans on piano, and he's a bit of an unsung hero, the piano. Um, he just passed away recently. He's 91 years old and a very revered musician, Richard Wyans. 
On bass, one of the finest bass players that ever graced the planet, and that is George de Vivier. Um, he was known to be the most in-tune bassist on the scene, and a very, very um, sophisticated and wonderful musician, big sound, and uh, could carry any band. So he's in this band. And on drums, Mr. Snap Crackle himself, who is uh, 93 years old and still playing and gigging. I'm talking about Roy Haynes. And uh, Roy really delivers on this album. So that's the personnel. Oliver Nelson on alto and tenor saxophones, Richard Williams on trumpet, Eric Dolphy on alto saxophone and bass clarinet, Richard Wyans on piano, George DeVivier on bass, and Roy Haynes on drums. And they all get together. One of the interesting things about Oliver Nelson, he knew the value of recordings. Now, he likely re, uh, rehearsed these guys at his own expense before the session. I can't think of any Oliver Nelson session that he leads uh, where the ensembles are, are uh, sloppy or tentative or anything like that. Any of his recordings, they sound like working bands, even though um, most of them were just put together for the recording session. This one is no exception. It's uh, very tight, uh, and it sounds like a working band. And uh, that was the artistry of Oliver Nelson. He was an excellent leader and very, very uh, astute. He knew records were going to last forever and people would be playing them down through the years and he didn't want to have any sloppy stuff, mistakes and all this sort of stuff on his recordings. And uh, they're all beautifully done and very coherent. This one is no exception. So if Blues and the Abstract Truth got 10 stars... Maybe this album would get, would get nine stars. So that's my <laughs> off-the-wall rating for this album that we're going to hear. The tunes, the six tunes on the album, they're all compositions by Oliver Nelson. The first one is the title track. It's called Screamin' the Blues. It's pretty obvious what it's all about. The second tune is uh, should get you up in the morning. It's called March On, March On. Third tune has got a beautiful um, melody, and it would be perfect if you were behind the wheel of a slick sports car, and the tune is called The Drive. Tune number four conjures up a meeting at a holiness church. That's what it's called, the meeting. Tune number five, that's tune number four, is the meeting, and tune number five is... Uh, I think my favorite track on this album, it's a minor key blues, but the voicing is all in um, seconds. Uh, that's a musical term, uh, notes that are very close together, minor seconds. And so that's why it has the title Three Seconds, because there's three horns and they're all voiced in seconds. There you go. Okay, uh, <laughs> those of you that don't know music theory um, might be a little baffled by it, but that's uh, the title of tune number five, three seconds. Um, tune number six features both Dolphy and Nelson on alto saxophones, sort of having a little bit of a battle. Uh, the tune is called Alto-itis. 
So that's it. Screaming the Blues, Oliver Nelson, all recorded at Rudy Van Gelder's studio, May the 27th, 1960. And sit back and enjoy this one.
And that's our jazz feature this evening. Screamin' the Blues, a wonderful album that uh, predated Oliver Nelson's more famous album, The Blues and the Abstract Truth. This album was done about 10 months before um, The Blues and the Abstract Truth, and it also defined the sound of Oliver Nelson and his compositions and, of course, his marvelous saxophone playing. And the fact that he could assemble a band, I know that he um, rehearsed these guys at his own expense because Prestige New Jazz Records didn't pay for rehearsal. Um, You had to do that yourself. And he assembled these guys, and uh, they all, um, before the recording date, and, of course, uh, they all sounded like a working band. And uh, that was one of the wonders of uh, Oliver Nelson. He was an incredible organizer and uh, iconic individual. I mean, what was, uh, he only lived uh, 43 years, and uh, he packed more into those 43 years than most people would pack into two lifetimes. Um, just became a wonderful saxophonist, uh, composer, and arranger, and uh, an organizer. Uh, he wrote, uh, later on, he wrote for movies, TV shows, all this kind of stuff. And uh, sad to say, died at the age of 43 from a, a heart attack. And um, it's really too bad. It's uh, it's almost like, uh, well, Cannonball Adderley was a young man when he passed away as well. Anyway, regardless, we have his his music and we heard... This very fine uh, album called Screamin' the Blues. And the people involved here, Oliver Nelson played mostly tenor saxophone, but he also played alto on, uh, on the final tune. Richard Williams, one of the great powerhouse trumpet players, uh, was on this date. And, of course, the marvelous, innovative, and iconic Eric Dolphy who played alto saxophone and bass clarinet. On piano, Richard Wyans, one of the elegant voices of the piano. And as I mentioned before, just recently passed away. He lived to uh, age 91 and uh, was still performing. And um, sad to say, died a few months ago, died in his sleep peacefully. Richard Wyans, one of those great musicians that very few people talk about. And on bass, one of the finest and strongest bass players ever to grace the planet, George DeVivier. And on drums, someone who is still very much with us. He's 93 years old. He still gigs. He plays as good as he, he always has and uh, leads his own bands and, and uh, carries on. Mr. Roy Haynes, Mr. Snap Crackle, uh, as everybody refers to him as, Roy Haynes on drums. So that was the band and the six tunes we heard, all compositions by Oliver Nelson. The first one was uh, the title track, Screamin' the Blues. And, of course, it's very obvious, the tribute to the blues. And it definitely was. The second tune was kind of an a, um, interesting little tune, a good wake-up-in-the-morning tune. It's called March On, March On. And... Tune number three had a gorgeous melody. As I mentioned before, if you were driving down the freeway in a, 
in a Ferrari sports car with the, with the top down on a summer day. Um, the tune called The Drive, which is, was tune number three, might be very suitable for your journey. Tune number four kind of recalled a, a meeting at the Holiness Church where everybody clapping their hands and singing and dancing and uh, moving around. And we heard track number four called simply The Meeting. Tune number five was my favorite track on the album. I've always loved this tune. It's um, a minor key blues, and uh, it's called Three Seconds. And the, the horns are voiced in minor seconds. And um, that's where you get that intriguing uh, ensemble sound. And that was tune number five. And the final tune Oliver picked up his alto saxophone and went head-to-head with Eric Dolphy. Um, And the tune was his composition called Alto-itis. And that uh, finished the date. Oliver Nelson's classic date for Prestige New Jazz Records called Screamin' the Blues. Our jazz feature this evening, Oliver Edward Nelson. He was born in St. Louis, Missouri, in 1932 and passed away in his uh, adopted town, hometown of Los Angeles uh, in, I believe, 1975. He was 43 years old, and we lost a, a great iconic figure in jazz. If I'm wrong on those dates, I'll, uh, I'll correct it later on. <laughs> Meantime... You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9 or, of course, for live streaming, www.citr.ca. My name is Gavin Marker, and uh, we have uh, a couple of things to tell you about. First of all, I'd like to tell you about a couple of websites. Um, I always mention this every week, but um, these two websites are really good. One of them is the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society. That's coastaljazz.ca. That's a very comprehensive website. And they also have um, the schedule of uh, one of Vancouver's leading jazz clubs. That's Frankie's. Frankie's Jazz Club on Beatty Street, right across from BC Place. And the music there is programmed by Corey Weeds. And uh, Mr. Weeds, of course, is um, a man of many, many talents. Uh, He's a very fine musician. Um, He is known throughout the country as uh, being one of the great representatives of of Vancouver and um, extremely talented man and very energetic. Uh, There's no rest for Corey. Runs his own record label, all kinds of stuff. He's going to be celebrating a birthday this week, too, and uh, December 5th, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, Corey uh, programs the music at Frankie's, and um, all of that information, as well uh, the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society, of course, uh, produce concerts throughout the year, as well as the Big Jazz Festival. So by going on that website, there's all sorts of information on there, as well as the schedule at Frankie's. And if there's artists that you would like to see, um, and here uh, you can make reservations and find out who they are and say, hey, I want to go see that band and this band and whatever. So you can do that on that website. It's very comprehensive. So that's coastaljazz.ca. 
The other website uh, is a very fine, informative website. is put together by my old buddy, Brian Nation. And he keeps it up to date. And there's all kinds of links on his website. And that's VancouverJazz.com. So both of those websites, CoastalJazz.ca, VancouverJazz.com. And I would also like to mention Pat's Pub. Every Saturday afternoon from 3 to 7, Pat's Pub presents some of our finest musicians. And everybody's a little short on dough these days, um, with Vancouver being very expensive and money goes very quickly. You don't have to worry too much about money when you go to Pat's Pub because there is no cover charge. There never has been, and I don't believe there ever will be for the jazz. And the jazz happens on Saturday afternoon from 3 to 7. It's always good to get down there a little early so you can get seated and comfortable. Uh, the sight lines are really good in Pat's Pub, and so are the acoustics. And my good friend Tony Wilson will be playing there this Saturday. And Tony is always coming up with something new, something innovative um, with his groups that he puts together. He's an incredible guitarist and uh, a very, very creative soul. He'll be playing there this Saturday at Pat's Pub. And uh, as I mentioned before, there's no cover, and uh, the music commences at 3, and they carry on until 7 in the evening. Pat's Pub, Saturday afternoon. So, there you be, and um, yeah, what else is there to say? Except this. snap, and uh, uh, I suppose we were lucky not to get any of that uh, nasty kind of precipitation that uh, <laughs> Vancouverites hate, unless it's up on the mountains. Yeah, uh, the, the Vancouverites love it to be up on the mountains, but not uh, particularly in the city. Anyway, we had our cold snap. It got, uh, it got pretty chilly. But uh, compared to the rest of Canada, my goodness, our weather is so benevolent. Uh, they've really had a rough time in other parts of Canada. We, we, so far, we should consider ourselves very lucky to be living here. And um, I believe the long-range forecast for British Columbia, uh, right up into the Yukon, um, is going to be warmer than usual. So uh, we may get away with it uh, this year, but you never know. But we're back to normal now with the weather. Tonight, periods of rain uh, with a low down to about 4. Uh, this is typical December weather. Nothing, uh, nothing different. Same old, same old. Um, tomorrow is going to be rain, uh, windy in the afternoon with a low of 4 and a high of 9. And Wednesday is going to be showers. 
not much change, not much variation in temperature. A low of 8, high of 8, and it's going to kind of stay there. Thursday is periods of rain, low of 4, high of 7. Friday is rain, <laughs> uh, as opposed to periods of rain, with a low of 6 and a high of 9. And then Saturday, uh, maybe easing up a little bit, a 60% chance of a shower, with a low of 3 and a high of 7. Same for Sunday, cloudy with a 60% chance of a shower with a low of 3 and a high of 7. So we're kind of back to normal with, uh, with the weather picture in Vancouver. Typical December weather. Pre-Christmas weather, all that kind of stuff. One of the finest piano players ever to grace the planet was Errol Garner. Errol Garner was an amazing musician. He certainly had a touch of genius and was a unique stylist. Garner was immediately identifiable. He was also a very popular jazz artist. There were a lot of people that had very little interest in jazz, but if Errol Garner was in town or playing at some club or a concert, people would go to hear him because... Uh, his style of jazz was so appealing, and yet it wasn't watered-down jazz. It was the real deal, and and that was what was beautiful about Errol Garner was that he kind of uh, he crossed over those barriers with his uh, incredible piano stylings. And I know um, his brother, who lived here in Vancouver, Linton Garner, his older brother, uh, he told me a lot about his younger brother. Um, who he admired and, and loved deeply. And um, Errol was, as I said, a, a genius. He, he, when he was a little boy, he just sat at the piano and, and could listen to the radio and pick tunes uh, off the radio and play them almost right away. It was like a natural talent. And Errol never learned to read music. He had no idea what chord he was playing. And he basically had no idea what key he was playing in. Um, that was it. He just, uh, wherever his fingers hit on the piano, uh, he had a tune in mind, he would play, and, and of course it, would, it could happen in any key. Errol Garner was a little bit like Thelonious Monk in that he never, when he had his trios together, he never told the guys, he never planned sets, and uh, he never told his accompanists uh, what he was going to play, but he usually played an introduction to a tune, and it was up to them to pick it up and figure out what tune it was and, and then carry on. And um, we're going to hear uh, three tunes from what I think is one of the finest Errol Garner albums. It was done in 1953. He was a fully developed stylist by this time, and uh, it was recorded for Columbia Records. And a very good friend of mine, uh, a dear friend was playing bass with Errol Garner at the time, Wyatt Ruther. And Wyatt lived here in Vancouver. That's uh, how we hooked up. We played together a lot and became very good buddies. And uh, Wyatt told me some Garner stories. But he said when he was working with Errol, he, um, he would listen to Errol's introductions. And some of them were pretty elaborate. So you really had to watch yourself because you're liable to, to, to walk into a, a different tune. Um, but he would watch Errol's uh, little finger of his left hand. 
And that would indicate to Wyatt what key the tune was in. So even if he wasn't sure what the tune was going to be, he knew what key Errol was going to do that particular tune in. And, of course, it didn't take them long to figure out uh, <laughs> which tune Errol was going to play. But anyway, that was the way it was done. And um, uh, Errol was very, very, very spontaneous. But this is a marvelous album, and it features Errol uh, on piano, uh, Wyatt Ruther on bass, and Eugene Fats Heard on drums. And we're going to hear, I think, one of the definitive versions of this great Duke Ellington Montezal tune that everybody knows and everybody has played. Rock bands have played this tune and everything. The tune is Caravan. But this is one of my very, very favorite versions of it. So we're going to hear that to start out with. Then we're going to hear uh, George Shearing's great tune um, interpreted by Errol, Lullaby of Birdland. And then we're going to go to an up-tempo tune that was written by Al Jolson, of all people, and the tune is called Avalon. And as I mentioned before, this is Garner at his finest. Check it out. Thank you. 
Thank you. 
unique Errol Garner, one of the great piano stylists and someone who is just uh, always such a pleasure to listen to. And this is one of his finest albums. It was done for Columbia Records way back in uh, 1953 with his working trio with uh, Mr. Garner, of course, on piano, Wyatt Ruther on bass, and Eugene Fats heard on drums. And we heard three tunes from this uh, album called Simply Errol Garner at the Piano. And we opened with this uh, exciting version of Duke Ellington and Juan Teasall's Caravan. And then we moved to uh, George Shearing's great tune, Lullaby of Birdland. And the final tune was written by the redoubtable Al Jolson, and that was called Avalon. And, of course, uh, all interpreted in that unique Garner style. As I mentioned before, uh, Errol didn't read music, had no idea <laughs> uh, about any kind of music theory or anything. He just played, and uh, he certainly had a touch of genius. And he, uh, he was um, uh, quite uh, a wonderful man. He just enjoyed the joy of communicating and playing music. And he was, uh, in his day, um, a very, very successful artist as well. Uh, he worked all the time and uh, worked in some of the best places. And, of course, he had a great management team, which uh, guaranteed him uh, an excellent salary anywhere he played. But his music was so broad and uh, appealed to a lot of people that weren't necessarily interested in jazz but liked music, and uh, they, they loved Errol Garner. So he was kind of, a, in a way, um, a bit of a crossover artist that way. And... Uh, without compromising um, the music. He uh, just simply played himself. There you go. You are listening to The Jazz Show. CITR is the radio station, and we're at 101.9 on your FM dial. And uh, I have many people ask me, they, they, uh, very often they, uh, they say, are you still doing your jazz show, Gavin? And I say, yeah, it's CITR. And they say, oh, that's not co-op radio? <laughs> it isn't. CITR is very, is, is very different from co-op. There are our friends, uh, of course, um, but we're not co-op radio. We are CITR. CITR. And, of course, uh, we have uh, uh, for live streaming as well. Some people find that uh, a lot better, uh, clearer signal and all that sort of stuff. And for live streaming, it's www.citr.ca. My name's Gavin Walker, and we're going to move now to a, a singer that uh, I featured last week. She's um, a rather forgotten uh, singer. Her name is Irene Krall, and um, no relation to Diana Krall. Uh, this Irene Krall spelled her name K-R-A-L, and whereas uh, Miss Krall from... Uh, or uh, Mrs. Costello, and <laughs> a crawl, uh, is uh, double L. Anyway, two different people. And uh, Irene, sad to say, uh, passed away at age 48, um, far too young. She died from breast cancer. But she was a favorite of musicians, um, jazz guys, and she had the respect. She had this natural kind of jazz phrasing. 
Um, there are a lot of singers in the world, and a lot of singers pretend that they are singing jazz simply because they're singing maybe um, Cole Porter standards or George Gershwin tunes. That doesn't necessarily make you a jazz singer. Um, there's a certain way of phrasing and a certain uh, sound that you have to get and just a feel for the music. Um, that can't be taught. That that just sort of happens naturally. And Irene Kral was a natural jazz singer. This is from an album uh, that she did with the great Junior Mance on piano and his trio. Junior is playing piano on here. Uh, Bob Cranshaw on bass, and the great Mickey Roker on drums. And we're going to hear three tunes. We're going to hear one that I played last week, the title track. I love this tune. It's called Better Than Anything. It's written by Bob Lobrow. And then we're going to move to a tune that I think everybody knows. It's a wonderful world. You know, everybody remembers Louis Armstrong's version of this tune. This is Irene Krall sings it. And then a great tune that uh, Charlie Parker recorded way back in the 40s. Great tune called This Is Always. And uh, then we're going to end with a standard um, by Lewis and Kleiner called Just Friends. So here then, the music, the vocal stylings of the one and only, the late, great Irene Kral. And we begin with Better Than Anything. Better than sailing at midnight, better than diving for pearls, better than skiing at Aspen, better than feeding the squirrels, better than finding a horseshoe, better than losing your head, better than anything thought of, better than anything said, better than singing right out loud or being spotted in a crowd, better than anything except being in love. Better than four sets of Dizzy, better than Count Basie's band, better than Rollins and Coltrane, better than B on the stand, better than Ella Fitzgerald, better than Miles' latest news, better than Bill Evans' ballads, better than Joe Williams' blues, better than hearing Lady Day or checking in at Monterey, better than anything except being in love. Better than Lucy and Desi, better than Route 66, better than Huntley and Brinkley, better than quiz shows all fixed, better than Kildare or Casey, better than singing with Mitch, better than Hitchcock and Karloff, better than clicking the switch, better than movies late at night or watching Emil Griffith fight, better than anything except being in love.
It's a wonderful world I'm just walking on air Talk of heaven on earth I've got more than my share Haven't got a care Happy all day through It's a wonderful world Loving wonderful you It's a wonderful world I'm just walking on air Talk of heaven on earth I've got more than my share Haven't got a care This isn't sometimes, this is always, this isn't maybe, this is always, this is love, the real beginning A passing glow, a moment's gladness. Yes, it's love. I knew it on the night we met. You tied a string. 
how could I forget you? With every kiss, I know that this is You tied a string around my heart. So how could I forget you? With every kiss, I know that Thank you. 
the amazing voice of the late, great Irene Kral. Irene, performing with Junior Mance at the piano. That's his working trio, Bob Crenshaw on bass and Mickey Roker on drums. And all of this is recorded in June of 1963 in Los Angeles. And uh, the album is called Better Than Anything. We heard the title track written by Bob Lobro and uh, Better Than Anything. And then we moved to It's a Wonderful World. Uh, then we moved to a beautiful ballad by Harry Warren called This Is Always. And that was um, made famous in the jazz world by Charlie Parker's uh, rendition of that tune. And we ended with uh, a real uh, war horse uh, written by Clenner and Lewis and, of course, Just Friends. Irene Kral, a genuine jazz singer, and uh, a great voice, delivery, diction, all that stuff. And uh, musicians just loved working with her. Irene Kral. We're going to uh, change the pace a little bit and bring you some legendary Canadian musicians from back east. And led by my good friend Norman Marshall Villeneuve, who is the drummer on this date. And uh, he was the one, uh, this was uh, a private release by Norman Villeneuve. Um, He had a tape of this particular band, and uh, he put it out on a CD. And it was from his private collection. And uh, I'm really glad that it saw the light of day. Because this is a marvelous group here. And uh, we have to thank uh, uh, Norman Villeneuve for uh, unearthing this uh, material. The album is called King Dog. And the reason um, for it is the nominal leader of this band is, uh, was a young man uh, originally from Grenada, and uh, he was part of the Montreal jazz scene, but a very, very respected uh, organist, Hammond organist. Uh, he toured with the Platters, the Drifters, uh, toured with Nina Simone, Nancy Wilson, played uh, in organ summits with all the great organ players, and uh, his name, Kingsley Etienne. And Kingsley um, was known as King, uh, of course, that was his nickname. Everybody called him King, and uh, uh, sometimes they called him Dog. <laughs> so uh, they used to call him King Dog. And as a matter of fact, we're going to play the, the title track from this album. It's it's Kingsley's composition called King Dog. The other people on here, one of the greatest guitar players that that uh, so few people have heard of, is Nelson Simons. And Nelson was born in Nova Scotia. Uh, he passed away in 2008, and Nelson was just one of those incredible guitar players. B.B. King, of all people, called him the greatest guitar player anywhere. Coltrane wanted him. Wes Montgomery heard him and said, this is the most fantastic guitar player I have ever heard. And Nelson lived in Montreal. Uh, he didn't travel. Uh, he once tried to go to the States and work, and, of course, um, <laughs> Uh, Nelson being uh, an African-Canadian, um, <laughs> he wasn't uh, 
he wasn't allowed to do that in the states. He wasn't allowed to uh, go down and, and gig down there because they, <laughs> the U.S. didn't want any more Africans <laughs> or black people. Uh, they didn't need them. Um, so that happened to a couple of people, and Nelson was one of them. Anyway, he was very happy to just live in Montreal. He was he was very well respected there. Lived a quiet life and just played little gigs and little and little joints and places. And, uh, of course, anybody that heard him went, holy smoke, who is that? On saxophone, on tenor saxophone, a wonderful player. He was born in Toronto, and um, he grew up in the Kensington Market area of Toronto. And uh, he moved to Montreal in the late 50s and became a big part of the Montreal jazz scene. And he has some very, very good friends out here as well. And I'm talking about Doug, the late Dougie Richardson, Doug Richardson, and uh, an extremely um, strong voice on the tenor saxophone. He worked also with a lot of people. So all of these people, they may not be familiar names um, in the present day to uh, Canadian jazz fans because, of course, you know, it's a big country, and most of these, uh, all of these gentlemen were are located back east. So there is kind of a... A barrier there, and um, of course, two of them have uh, have passed away: Nelson Simons and and Doug Richardson. Uh, Norman Villeneuve, the drummer, is still going strong. He's eighty one years old, still playing gigs, and uh, promoting uh, beautiful music. He's a great guy. So here then, Kingsley Etienne on Hammond B three. Doug Richardson on tenor saxophone, Nelson Simons on guitar, and Norman Marshall Villeneuve on drums. We're going to hear, uh, we're going to open the set with Benny Golson's tune called Shades of Stein. And then we're going to move to the title track of this album uh, called King Dog. And then we'll see what happens after that. Thank you. 
We heard four tracks from an album called King Dog, and uh, that was put out by the drummer on the date, uh, Norman Marshall Villeneuve, of course, who is uh, still very much alive, and uh, he lives in Montreal, and of course um, has uh, lived in Toronto for several years and then moved back to Montreal, and that's where he is, and still performing. He's 81 years old. Anyway, he uh, was responsible for putting this music out on a disc, and uh, that's what it's called, King Dog. That was the nickname of uh, the Hammond organist on here, um, born in Grenada, Kingsley Etienne, and a very, very fine uh, Hammond organist, and two great Canadian musicians who are uh, since departed. I'm talking about Nelson Simons, one of the legendary Canadian guitarists, and Doug Richardson, of course, who uh, was heard on tenor saxophone and flute. And um, Doug Richardson was uh, uh, born and raised in Toronto and then spent most of his performing years in Montreal and all kinds of played in all kinds of places. Great, uh, great saxophone player. 
And uh, he has lots of friends out here in Vancouver, too. Um, he left us in 2007. So, and of course, Norman Marshall Villeneuve on drums. We heard uh, four tunes from this album. We opened with a Benny Golson composition, rather obscure, obscure uh, piece of music, but a, a good one, as most of Golson's compositions are. And that was called Shades of Stein. Then we heard the title track with uh, Doug Richardson on flute, and that was uh, King Dog, and that was written by the organist Kingsley Etienne. And then we heard a tune by Richard Powell entitled Gertrude's Bounce. That was a tune that was recorded by the Max Roach Clifford Brown Band way back in the 50s. And the final tune... The final tune was a standard tune uh, written by Cy Coleman, and of course that tune was Witchcraft. So we heard Nelson Simons on guitar, Doug Richardson on tenor saxophone and flute, and we heard Kingsley Etienne on Hammond B3, and Norman Marshall Villeneuve on drums. Hope you enjoyed that music. Good Canadian jazz. Yeah, really. We're going to turn our attention now to the first great quintet of Miles Davis. This is from a live concert that was recorded uh, in 1956 in Pasadena, California. And it was part of uh, Gene Norman was a, a producer, and he produced a lot of great jazz. And uh, this was a Gene Norman presentation. And... This was Miles Quintet's first visit to the West Coast. Now, everybody had, had heard of Miles Davis, of course, but none of the other guys in the band, uh, nobody knew who they were. And I'm talking about John Coltrane on tenor saxophone, Red Garland on piano, Paul Chambers on bass, and Philly Joe Jones on drums. Nobody knew who these guys were. <laughs> so there you go. So we're going to hear um, a couple of tunes from this uh, concert. Uh, we're going to hear Walkin', which was a staple of uh, any Miles Davis band. And um, that was a tune written by Gene Ammons, but it was uh, played by uh, Miles a lot. And uh, then Gene Norman's going to exchange a few words with Miles Davis, and he's going to do a ballad. Um, featuring himself called It Never Entered My Mind. And then we're going to hear the band all back with a, a great tune called um, Wouldn't You, and written by Dizzy Gillespie. And uh, that's what we're going to hear. Miles Davis and his very first appearance with his new quintet on in uh, the Los Angeles area, and we open with walking. <laughs>
Thank you. 
Thank you very much for Miles Davis with the opening number. And uh, now, since Miles has asked me to be his interpreter here tonight, I'd like to introduce the boys in the band. First of all, uh, you've met Miles Davis on trumpet. Now on tenor saxophone, we have Johnny Coltrane. Johnny, let's have a hand for Johnny. On bass, we have Paul Chambers. Paul Chambers. On drums, we have Philly Joe Jones. And at the piano, we have Mr. Red Garland. Red Garland. Well, Miles, what's going to be this? Miles, it seems to me the last time that you presented uh, or were presented in concert with us was uh, way back around 1951 on the Billy Eckstein George Shearing show, isn't that right? And he came out with an opening set with Benny Green and Kenny Clark, wasn't that it? Well, man, isn't that right? Oh, Art Blakey. With Art Blakey. All right, uh, I want you to know that you've been away much too long, Miles. We want to see you here more often, okay? Thank well, what are you going to do this time? You never get it in my mind. Uh, here we go with Miles Davis. Let's make it. Thank you. 
That's a, a rare recording done at the Pasadena Civic Auditorium, February 18, 1956, and the early days of Miles Davis's first great quintet. And this was their first appearance as that band on the West Coast. And as I mentioned before, um, nobody in Los Angeles knew who any of the guys were, except, of course, they knew who Miles Davis was. But um, John Coltrane on tenor saxophone, Red Garland on piano, Paul Chambers on bass, and Philly Joe Jones on drums were virtually unknown <laughs> to uh, Los Angelinos. And, uh, of course, uh, well, they soon found out how great these musicians were. Yes, and it is really interesting because the uh, the promoter of the date, uh, the impresario Gene Norman, uh, introduced the band after the uh, after the first tune that we heard, and it's not very often you're going to hear John Coltrane referred to as Johnny Coltrane. Yeah, that's how early <laughs> this recording was. Uh, anyway, a live recording, and of course the audience seemed to really uh, enjoy it. We heard "Walkin' First. And then a, a brief um, uh, verbal exchange between uh, uh, Gene Norman announcing the band and uh, a, a couple of words with Miles Davis. And then Miles uh, moved into the Rogers and Hart uh, ballad, It Never Entered My Mind. And we ended up with Dizzy Gillespie's great tune with the full band back doing Wooden You. 
Miles Davis and the first great quintet recorded February 18, 1956 at Pasadena Civic Auditorium. We're going to turn now to Charlie Parker. Now, if I was going to, um, I, I remember uh, playing some Charlie Parker uh, recordings, live recordings that were that were done with dubious sound to a young saxophone student, and he was not impressed because he he could not get his ears around the um, the the bad sound, and um, so the music didn't mean that much to him because the recording quality was was so. Uh, bad, and I said, "Well, <laughs> in a few years, you'll look back on these recordings and actually appreciate uh, what you're going to hear, despite the bad sound." But if I was going to turn a young person on to Charlie Parker and his greatness, because you know uh, most people that uh, get into jazz, they find out sooner or later uh, that Charlie Parker was one of the greatest jazz musicians. And one of the most influential. And, of course, um, then that would open up people's ears to saying, well, I want to hear Charlie Parker. These were very well recorded for their time. They were done in the studio. This is a quartet performance. And these would be the recordings I would turn a young person on to who had never heard Charlie Parker. And um, because the sound quality is so good and... um, the the recording quality of his saxophone just it shows um what an incredibly beautiful and full sound that he had and it's captured here on these recordings so we're going to hear charlie parker on alto saxophone with al haig on piano um on bass percy heath and on drums, the great Max Roach. And we're going to hear, these were all recorded in 1953, which many people maintain was the last really productive year of Charlie Parker's life. He died early in 1955, age 34. So um, these four pieces of music, I think, are very representative of the greatness of Charlie Parker. The first tune is um, his, a uh, composition is called Chi-Chi. The second tune, of course, is a standard tune that uh, everybody knows. It's called I Remember You. And then one of the great blues that Charlie Parker wrote back in about 1945 called Now's the Time. And this is the definitive version of that tune. And the final tune was another Charlie Parker composition, a great piece of music called Confirmation. So these four tunes are what I would, as I said, turn a young person on. You want to hear Charlie Parker and hear how great he is? Here he is.
Bird in Flight. Charlie Parker on alto saxophone with Al Haig on piano, Percy Heath on bass, and Max Roach on drums. And we heard four tunes from this uh, historic recording session which took place in uh, 1953 in New York City. Um, the first piece of music was a Charlie Parker composition called Chi-Chi. The second tune was a standard tune, I Remember You, and then Charlie Parker's great blues composition that he wrote back in the, uh, as a young man in the uh, mid-40s. And the tune, Now's the Time. And the final tune was uh, one of his uh, most challenging compositions entitled Confirmation. Try and play that one. That's a tough one. There's easy parts on it, but there's some real tough parts on it, too. Anyway, uh, Charlie Parker at the top of his game on this uh, recording session done late in his uh, short life and uh, captured magnificently by the uh, microphones in the studio. And this is, uh, as I mentioned before, I would play these four recordings for any young person who had never heard Charlie Parker before because this is as good as a uh, presentation as, um, as it gets. Considering a lot of uh, uh, Charlie's uh, performances were not well recorded, but these ones were. So there you go. And it makes a big difference. Charlie Parker. Mm-hmm. Charles Christopher Parker from Kansas City, Missouri. We're going to uh, turn our attention now to one of the great vibes players. These are two compositions written for Milt Jackson by Quincy Jones during the early part of his career, and Jackson assembled quite a band uh, for these two tunes that we're going to hear, which came out on an Atlantic album called Plenty Plenty Soul. Milt Jackson on Vibes with Cannonball Adderley on alto saxophone, Frank Foster on tenor saxophone, Sahib Shahab on baritone saxophone, Joe Newman on trumpet, Jimmy Cleveland on trombone, Horace Silver on piano, Percy Heath once again on bass, and the great Art Blakey on drums. And we're going to hear the title track from this album, Plenty Plenty Soul, and we're going to follow that with a tune called Boogity Boogity, Here is the incomparable vibraphone stylings of Milt Jackson.
Uh-huh. Milt Jackson gets the last word on that tune. We heard two compositions by Quincy Jones, who uh, did the arrangements for that uh, small band. And those pieces of music, the first one was entitled Plenty, Plenty, Soul. And the second tune was called Boogity, Boogity. And the band included, of course, the leader, the great Milt Jackson on Vibes, Cannonball Adderley on alto saxophone, Frank Foster on tenor saxophone, Sahib Shahab on baritone saxophone, Joe Newman on trumpet, Jimmy Cleveland on trombone, Horace Silver on piano, Percy Heath on bass, and the great Art Blakey on drums, all recorded in New York City in January of 1957 for Atlantic Records. And uh, the first tune was the title track from this wonderful album, Plenty, Plenty, Soul. Mill Jackson. We're going to uh, close the show with a favorite of mine. And it's a tune that I used to play when I worked with uh, uh, local Hammond organist Bernie Sneed down at a place down on Seymour Street that was called The Lion's Tale. It was an after-hours kind of a... A club, a lot of uh, late-night people came in there. It was mostly for um, a lot of members of the black community in Vancouver and visitors, of course, uh, from Seattle and uh, other places, Fort Fort Bragg, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And uh, the Lion's Tale was uh, located where the the, uh, um, telephone building is, the... uh, uh, well, I used to call it uh, TELUS building. I used to call it BC Tell back in the old days. Anyway, that's where the Lion's Tail was located, and it was an after-hours club. We used to play this tune all the time. It was written by Hugh Masakila, and the version we're going to hear is the one that we, um, we copied the arrangement of and played this tune, and it was always a big hit. Um, here is the original version with... Uh, the master Hammond organist, who is now Dr. Lonnie Smith, but he was just Lonnie Smith back then. Lonnie Smith with Lee Morgan on trumpet, David Newman, Fathead Newman on tenor saxophone, Melvin Sparks on guitar, and Marion Booker Jr. on drums. And this is a great uh, Hugh Masakila composition called The Son of Icebag.
Hugh Masekela's great tune, Son of Icebag. Played by Lonnie Smith, leading the band on Hammond organ. Melvin Sparks on guitar. Lee Morgan on trumpet. David Fathead Newman on tenor saxophone. And Marion Booker Jr. on drums. And that's from Lonnie Smith's album for Blue Note Records, his first for that label. Uh, it's an album called Think. And uh, Dr. or Lonnie Smith um, soon became Dr. Lonnie Smith, legendary Hammond organist who is still very much with us and, uh, and still very active as well. Son of Icebag. Brings back lots of memories for me, that particular tune. Well, that's it. Another edition of The Jazz Show this evening. Hope you uh, enjoyed the show, and if you stayed with us uh, right up to the end, that's great. And if you were here for a little while, that's wonderful, too. And we do this every Monday night on CITR, and we begin at 9 p.m. So, on behalf of The Jazz Show and myself, Gavin Walker, and radio station CITR at 101.9 on your FM dial. Or for live streaming, uh, we are at www.citr.ca. We shall see you in a week's time. And, uh, of course, uh, moving toward the, uh, the jolly season. And, of course, we're going to be we're going to get our jollies in the rain for this week. But it's going to be a lot warmer than it has been. So, <laughs> anyway, that's a small compensation. Take care. We'll see you in seven days' time. Bye-bye. Do-ba-dee-oo-doo